Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Like NFL camps are starting to open up, so here's the number one thing that you want to avoid if you're a player. Trending on Twitter. You don't want that. In general, trending on Twitter is never a good thing. But if you're trending on Twitter at this time of year and you're in the NFL, it's probably because you showed up fat. Guys never trend on Twitter because they showed up in great shape. Almost never. There are like three people in the history of the NFL who have ever trended for being swole. Saquon Barkley, Derrick Henry, and the weight room god, LaRon Landry. That's pretty much the list. That's it. So if your name is trending now, the way Leonard Fournette's name was, there's a good chance it's going to be trending for the wrong reasons and right alongside another name, Eddie Lacy. I digress. Clones, how stoked are you that I'm starting the show with this today? Tell me that's not like a big fat chocolate donut for you. Or a jelly filled donut for you. Or in the case of Leonard, apparently donuts. both. Donuts. Anyway, as I mentioned yesterday, the moment a running back puts on an extra pound or two, Eddie Lacy's phone starts blowing up. The second any running back puts on a pound or two, Eddie Lacy gets dragged. And it's ridiculous. And it's unfair. You know why? It is kind of ridiculous, Rome. Because there have been plenty of other running backs who reportedly have shown about a shape since Eddie Tasty went bready cakesy. But he's the only one that anybody ever wants to talk about. Why is that the guy who's always singled out? I mean, Le'Veon Bell went Le'Veon Bell, a.k.a. Taco Bell. But because Edward used to tweet about McGriddles and his love of, quote, China food, end of quote, he's the only guy who gets brought up. And if you want to do something really entertaining, go back on Twitter and look at the run and the thread that Eddie once had about, quote, China food. It's incredible. Believe me when I tell you this. There is nobody anywhere in the world who likes anything as much as Breddy Casey liked himself some, quote, China food back in the day. I've never seen anything like it on Twitter. Anyway, this is not about Eddie. It's about Lenny. And playoff Lenny apparently has turned into Buffet Lenny. This was a thing yesterday because Bucks beat writer Rick Stroud recently made these statements on his podcast. The last time we saw Leonard Fournette, he was about a donut shy of 260. He certainly didn't look like a guy that could play every down. Donuts. Quote, the last time we saw Leonard Fournette, he was about a donut shy of 260. Donuts. He certainly did not look like a guy who could play every down. End of quote. I mean, damn, that's rough. But you know what's even more rough? The photos of Fournette being a crueler short of 260. Maybe he doesn't look like a guy who could play every down, but he sure as hell looks like a guy who could put a hand down. You slot this guy next to Vita Vea on the line, and you let those two big dogs eat. Stroud, 
continued on. Coaches were not happy, and that's an understatement, when he didn't participate in the OTAs, but then he shows up at the mandatory minicamp weighing damn near 260. And that's not a good sign for a guy that you've just you know, spent three-year contract on. Right? Of course he did not participate in the OTAs. Who has time for organized team activities when you've got organized buffet activities? OTAs suck. E-A-T-ing rules. And the issue is that Fournette, or four necks, as some of you want to gloss him, played last year around 228, according to Stroud. So, when Leonard Baggett rolls in the facility at 260, and I do mean rolls in, that's a pretty big jump. And the photos that resurfaced yesterday do not look good. I'm not going to say my man looked fat, but I was wondering who the new right guard was. My man looked portly, meaty, corpulent, plump, Rubenesque. Listen, I'm not here to body shame anybody, but voluptuous is not a word you want to use to describe a running back. Putting on roughly 30 pounds is going to make a difference. Lenny heard all of this, and he jumped on Twitter to fire back at the reports. Not the reports that he's fat, but the reports that he weighed 228 last year. I mean, how incredible is that? I'm not denying I'm fat. I'm denying that I wasn't also fat last year. Quote, no, I weighed 245. Y'all say anything? End of quote. Yeah, that may or may not be true. And that may or may not be smart because he deleted the tweet. But of course, TMZ caught it before he could, which as always is a reminder that the internet is written in ink. This is not Snapchat. It does not go away. And if you're an athlete... And it's about your weight. The internet is chiseled in marble. His (laughs) response, this is too much. Like his response is not to say that everybody's wrong and I'm really in good shape this year. It's that everybody's wrong when thinking that I was in really good shape last year because I wasn't. I was also fat then. Like he's not denying that he's fat now. He's just saying that he was also fat last year. Fat. Not as fat as he is now, but fat nonetheless. So y'all can get out of here with that crap. Look, I'm going to be honest. Saying I'm 15 pounds overweight, not 30 pounds overweight, is not exactly the debate winner that you think it is, Len. It's kind of like, hey, ass clowns, quit calling me Leonard four tons. I was fat last year, too. (laughs) I don't know, Len. That does not have a great ring to it. It's not a real persuasive argument. Now, here's the thing. I don't want to be a hypocrite. I just spent a bunch of time in Wisco. I'm the last guy who should be handing out diet advice to anybody at all. But if you're a running back, you simply cannot afford to show up to camp out of weight. And you really can't show up obese especially at that position, especially at that position. 
and with the most decorated, dedicated, committed athlete standing right in front of you under center. Tom Brady won't even eat tomatoes because he's worried about inflammation. If I eat a tomato, I want like an award. I want to be made like a Nobel Peace Prize winner. Hey, I, I eat a tomato. And want to add some broccoli too. I guarantee four next, next tomato will be his first tomato ever in life. Again, you cannot show up fat to camp unless it's a fat camp, especially at that position because running back is the most replaceable position in the NFL. There's always a running back ready to take your place, one that's not as fat and one that's not as expensive, especially this year when the team picked Rashad White in the third round. So if you show up 30 pounds overweight, you better change your jersey from 7 to 77 and find a new spot. Otherwise, it's going to go terribly for both you and Breddy Casey. And that's just not fair to Breddy. I guess, Len, what I'm saying is, happy Fat Tuesday. Yeah, I know. Listen, I know that was back in February, but until you drop about 40, big fella, every Tuesday is going to be Fat Tuesday for you. Listen, this is why I have the platform and you don't. I took an athlete and I was critical about his weight because he is an athlete. This is why I can talk about people getting fat if they're athletes because their body is their moneymaker, right? It's fair game. If you're an athlete and you gain weight and it impacts performance negatively, that's why I can do what I do. However, you juxtapose that with you and your, I don't know, fascination with, say, Russell Crowe, right? Russell Crowe takes his family to the setting of his iconic role in Gladiator. One of the best movies ever. An amazing movie. I'm one of those guys, like when they say Gladiator or 300 or whatever those movies, whatever it is. Like I'm a born guy through and through and a diehard guy, but I'm a big Gladiator guy. I'm not a big Crow guy, but I'm a big Gladiator guy. So I can see where this guy might take his family back to the scene where they shot that. Great moment, great picture of the fam, having a good time. Oh, but not, not for you haters, not for you clones. You kill the guy, and why? because of the way he looked. Let me ask you something. I do this all the time. I know. I speak from experience. Who doesn't have a fat face in a selfie? Fat. Let me ask once again. Who amongst us does not have a fat face in a selfie? I mean, you're leaning back. I do this all the time. You lean back. You got a double or quadruple chin. You know, your gut's out. Am I right, Ike? You know. You know better than anybody, Ike. Thank you. Pear. Just kidding, pair man. So what I'm saying is, like, who who doesn't look bad with a selfie? And who also doesn't have a little gravy stain or sweat stain or bow stains on their shirt? But what do I get? Like, I understand that. But what do I get? I get a sampling of this. Hey, Jim, time to cue up the Maximus Fattiest Alarm. 
or something like, Hey Jim, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? By the buffet selection at the Golden Corral. Or, Hey Rome, at my signal, unleash hell. At my signal, unleash hell. On the buffet. <laughs> hey Jim, what we eat at Golden Corral echoes in our toilet seat. What we do in life echoes in, in our toilet seat. seat. Like, unless I miss something and Russell Crowe was signed to play tailback for the Bucks, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. Because it's just not relevant. But a star athlete who just signed an extension for a team that has Super Bowl aspirations, showing up to a mandatory camp, mandatorily fat. I just made that up. Fat. That's fair game. Athletes' condition physically is fair game because that's how they make their money and it impacts performance. That's why we could talk about fat athletes. And we're not fat shaming them, we're being critical. I guess what I'm getting at is this. Leonard Fournette can't possibly be more effective at 260 than he was at 228. He just can't. I don't think I need to be Vince Lombardi to know that. I'll tell you what, you know how you know it's a thing? I led the show with it. Adrian Wojnarowski is my guest. Woj, it is so good to have you back. How you doing? Jim, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me as always. Well, it's always good to have you. In fact, it's been a moment or two since you and I last spoke. So just bring me up to date really quickly. How are you doing? How is your life right now? Because things are always, always hectic in said life. <laughs> I'm doing great. I appreciate you asking. Yeah, listen, we're just, uh, this is how free agency works. You sort of free agency, most of the players sign, and then there's these lingering trade situations that usually, you know, and sometimes often take you through the rest of the summer. And I think that's where we are right now with Kevin Durant, with Donovan Mitchell, and with the uncertainty around the Lakers roster. If there's a move or two still to be made, uh, perhaps around Russell Westbrook um, or, or elsewhere on their roster. Uh, to see if they can in, improve before they get to training camp. There you go. So let's get into some of that, starting with Kevin Durant. Woj, it's been nearly three weeks since you reported that Brooklyn Nets GM Sean Marks was working with Kevin Durant to find a trade for him. At that time, did you think that that would be something that could potentially be wrapped up pretty quickly, or did you always expect that nearly three weeks later he was going to be exactly where he was then, a member of the Nets? Yeah, Trades for players of Durant's stature, and there may hit, perhaps there's never been a player of his stature on the trade market with four years left on his deal, uh, still at the apex of his talent. Maybe there's never been one quite like this. They typically don't move quickly, and this one hasn't. Uh, obviously, uh, you know there are any number of teams interested in Durant, but I think because he's got time, so much time left on his deal, it take some of the urgency away, maybe a lot of the urgency away from Brooklyn to have to do something quickly. You think back, you know, 2018 with Kawhi Leonard, who, you know, certainly was an all NBA level player, certainly one of the best several players in the league. When he got traded, he was headed into the last year of his deal. 
he had not played the previous season, and it had been this situation hanging over the Spurs, and Toronto did a good job at that point of kind of waiting out the market a little bit. They had the best offer, and people were uneasy about giving up too much because they felt, and looking back rightly so, that Kawhi Leonard was headed to L.A. one way or another that following off season. This is different, Jim, because, again, Durant just signed the extension. Adrian Wojnarowski is joining us. Well, listen, I understand that KD is not the easiest guy to read. I also understand that you do not want to speak for him. But if you had to guess, why do you think that he wants to be traded? <laughs> I, I, I don't want to guess on it, Jim. I think there's a number of reasons. I think he is going, <clears throat> he's going to have to speak to this at some point. Uh, I think for people to have a clear view of it, I think it's cloudy for a lot of people whose jobs it is to understand this in terms of teams and organizations and, and what it is he, he wants. I think there's a number of factors, including obviously just how it's gone in Brooklyn and how last season went and the underachieving nature of this window in time he's been there. I think the Warriors winning a championship and then sort of this whole new uh, wave of criticism that came Kevin Durant's way in the aftermath of Golden State having won since he left. Obviously, they had won with that group before he arrived. I think that played a part, and I think the uncertainty around Kyrie Irving's extension talks and the fact that he didn't get an extension with the Nets, and obviously he didn't find a sign-and-trade that he could get somewhere else, so he's back in the last year of his deal. Jim, I think they're all factors, but I think ultimately KD's got to speak on it himself. But yeah, so I think for Brooklyn, they want him back. They don't want to trade him. They've never wanted to trade him. And I think if at some point Kevin Durant said to them, hey, uh, you know, I view this differently. I'm in a different place. Let's try to – let's run it back this year with, with Kyrie Irving under contract, with Ben Simmons uh, in the lineup getting healthy and, and all the other pieces you have there. Obviously Brooklyn would welcome that. That hasn't happened yet as far as I know. And so I think Brooklyn continues to try to find trades for Kevin Durant. Although the asking price is steep. It has to be steep for Kevin Durant. And no one has really come close to, to being able to meet it yet. And so it's all at a standstill. Adrian Wojnarowski joining me in the jungle. Woj, you mentioned also the Lakers. In fact, you reported on Friday night that Russell Westbrook and his agent parted ways. This was a long-time relationship, a really good relationship. Is this just a matter of a long-time relationship coming to an end, running its course, and things like that happen? Or, in your opinion, is there more to it than that? Is there disagreement about how they each see his future? Well... Certainly, I think there's factors in, in everything you just listed there, Jim, but it's not that uncommon in the NBA. Most players have more than one agent in their career. Uh, Russell Westbrook, Thad Fouché had been together you know, 14 years since he came out of UCLA, did max contracts, did a max extension, uh, uh, renegotiation extension. There hadn't quite been one of those done back in Oklahoma City. And then the last couple of years, getting some trades moving around the league as situations changed you know they work together on that it's these things do run their course I don't think there's much more to it than that Jim I think for Russell Westbrook I think you know I think the uncertainty of 
what it is in L.A. right now. I think for, you know, for Westbrook, I think he, like anybody else, he wants to be wanted, and he wants to be wanted by them. He wants a chance to, to have a better season there this year than they had last year. And obviously, I think a lot got put on Russell Westbrook. Um, maybe too much got put on him for the Lakers missing the play-in. And you look at how much time Anthony Davis missed, how much time uh, uh, LeBron James missed. And then you look at the composition of the roster and the construction of it. They're just they, – they were – they weren't built to be very good defensively, and they weren't. They didn't have enough shooting. And there was a lot put on Russell Westbrook, who was the one healthy enough anyway to play virtually every night. So I do know that he has really liked getting to know Darvin Ham. He's connected with him. Uh, he's liked what he's heard from him. And, and I think Darvin Ham has worked hard to build a relationship with Russell Westbrook. And, and, and if he's going to be on the team, to be able to go into training camp in, in a better place maybe than the whole thing finished last year. Well, so what about that? Like, you've also reported that the Nets, they may or may not get that deal done for Kevin Durant. They are focused on that. But before that, could they do something with Kyrie Irving? I mean, do you see a scenario where Kyrie could end up with the Lakers? Is that at all possible? I mean, Jim, it, it is possible. I wouldn't rule anything out at this point. Uh, I think it's right now unlikely and I think if you're the Lakers, there are other possible scenarios with Russell potential deals that I think they are that they can. I don't know if they can do, but they would like to try to be able to do. And there's other deals without Russell Westbrook where he would stay. His salary at 47 million is hard to trade. Typically, a contract like Russell Westbrook's gets traded for another contract that's comparable: John Wall, uh, Chris Paul. When you're trading players with just that much salary to make the money work, typically you've got to, you know, you you don't want to always take back three or four players. It doesn't make sense because you're going to gut a, t- a team might be gutting its depth to do that. But there are teams with cap space like Indiana that could take on Westbrook's money hypothetically and do a deal and do a different kind of deal. But the Lakers have been trying to work on that since the end of the season. Nothing there yet. Indiana. Uh, has a player in Buddy Heald, uh, a center, a guard in Buddy Heald, who's a former Rob Palenka client who he knows well. Miles Turner, their center, certainly is appealing to the Lakers, but it's it's unclear that the Lakers would be able to – you're going to have to incentivize a deal, meaning you're going to have to put draft picks in. In most all these deals, um, when you're moving Russ out right now, and – there's a hesitancy on the Lakers part to do that when, while you don't want to give a seat, you don't want to feel like you're giving a season away. The money does come off the cap this year, but if you give away your 27 first round pick, your 29 first round pick, it just limits what you can do. It's not necessarily that the Lakers are ever going to pick with those players, but you want to use those picks to really improve your team, not just get money off. And so I think that's the spot they're in between right now, but I do think the Lakers will probably do something between now and training camp or now and the start of the season, whether it's, it may not be an all-star level player. And, you know, some of the guys they've talked about, Aaron Gordon, excuse me, Eric Gordon in Houston. I mentioned Buddy Heald. Again, both former Rob Palenka clients, as he knows well. Um, and those are both rebuilding teams in Indiana, Houston that want to get draft picks back. 
uh, for a player. The Lakers don't want to give as much, obviously, as they as they would want. That's what these negotiations, you know, that's how they take shape. It's such good content, such good information. Woj, not to get greedy with your time, but just to finish it off, you mentioned it at the very top. What about Donovan Mitchell? How likely is it that Donovan Mitchell is with the Jazz at the start of training camp? They're definitely talking to teams, Jim. I think Donovan Mitchell, again, four years left on his deal. Danny Ainge's history in making deals is he does them typically. He does them when he feels like he's getting max value. There's certainly no rush to do, have to do a deal. New York is very interested in him. But I think New York is trying to be in a situation where they don't bid against themselves, where they don't keep offering where they're not put in a position where they have to keep offering more and more, and they're not clear that there's somebody else offering more and more. And so because of just that dynamic, I think this is probably not a quick deal anywhere. Uh, the Knicks certainly are motivated on Donovan Mitchell. They, they picked up Jalen Brunson, obviously, in free agency. And the Knicks have a bunch of picks. They have some young players that might be of interest to Utah. I think that one is going to play out over the summer. And certainly I think there's going to be other teams, our other teams that are interested in Donovan Mitchell. But the Jazz are in a position of strength just because, again, like Brooklyn, four years left on Donovan Mitchell's contract. He is an ESPN Senior NBA Insider, host of the Waj Pod, Pod, I should say. Two-time APSE columnist of the year, first digital reporter, as I mentioned, to win three straight NSMA National Sports Writer of the Year awards. And he and I go way back. I consider him one of our best friends. Adrian Wojnarowski, my guest. Woj, really, really appreciate you finding time to do this show, as always. Thanks so much, Adrian. Jim, you're the best. Always, always an honor to be on. We'll talk soon. Love it every single time. I love that sound. Always pumps me up. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the best. It gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I've done this myself with this show and my podcast and my side hustles. Shopify helps with all of that. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash roam, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E right now, shopify.com slash roam. SEC Media Days. Like, we're just about through the single most insane offseason in the history of college football. Find me an offseason in college football that's been more insane than this one. So it's not exactly surprising that there is a ton of buzz, especially around SEC media days. There always is. But this year, more than ever before, 
And the one thing that I would not expect would be that much of that buzz would surround the guy that it surrounded. No, it was not the Nick Tater or Jimbo commenting on their epic red ass versus thin skin feud. It was not some kind of zany rant from Mike Leach or Lane Kiffin getting nice and doing what Lane Kiffin does. It wasn't Kirby Smart up there talking bleep fresh off his first natty. Now, the guy that everybody seemed to be focused on was the coach with the traveling jug band. You know that band. It's a band that revolves around a lead jug. Who plays lead jug? Electric jug. The jug unplugged. Baritone jug. Soprano jug. You know, the one guy who showed up in Louisiana and then overnight somehow became a changed man with a changed accent. Of course, I'm talking about Brian Jughead Kelly. BK was the SEC Media Day's opening act, which I'm not really sure how I feel about. I mean, you want to put the best band on first? Don't other bands open for the band? What are you talking about, Rome? The Nictator is the guy. Not anymore, he's not. Not with BK and the Jugheads. They're the headliner. Why are they opening up that show? BK and the Jugheads are the ones on the marquee. You don't want to have an opening act steal the show because then the so-called marquee act gets their ass booed off the stage. We've seen that before. Yet, they decide to open up with the marquee act, BK and the Jugheads. And he was about as compelling as an opening act as you could ever have for that reason. Mostly because at this point, it's not just like his ability to shred on the jug, and he can. I mean, this dude's like the Jimi Hendrix of Jugheads. This guy's Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, and Eddie Van Halen all rolled into one on a jug itself. I'm telling you, Eric Clapton in his prime couldn't shred the way BK can right now on the jug. Right? Yeah, Eddie Van Halen, my ass. I mean, pretty good guitar player. Hendrix, a little overrated if you ask me, but he was Jimi Hendrix. BK on the jug dominates all these guys. Anyway, the thing that makes the guy so intriguing is not only like he's a prodigy on the jug. You can't teach that. You cannot teach that. My man is an absolute magician. He's a freak. However, the thing about him, most of all, nobody knows exactly what's going to happen when he takes his mouth away from the jug and opens it up because nobody knows exactly what's going to come out then. It's a great night to be a Tiger. I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana, but more importantly, to be with you great fans and to be part of what is going to be an incredible ride here at Louisiana State University. Let's not get too far away from that. 
The, the fact that he showed up like that with that horrible fake accent. But that was way back in December. And he did shock the world by booking it out of South Bend and suddenly showing up in Baton Rouge sounding like he grew up or trying to sound like he grew up on a shrimpin' boat. So, of course, BK was asked about it again yesterday and about that incredible jug band that he fronts. There have been some great lead men before, some unbelievable lead men. You know, some like incredible talents that can sing lead and play lead guitar. But how many guys can sing lead and play lead jug? Very few. In fact, I'm going to say one. Tell me, who's a guy that sings lead and plays lead guitar? Bruce Springsteen? Okay, now who's a guy that sings lead, like writes all the material, sings lead, and plays lead jug? Only one, man, BK. So, of course, he was asked again about that, the jug band life, and adjusting to Southern life. And Southern Foods. And of course, he knew the question was coming because it's no longer a question to this guy. It's now a lifestyle. Well, understand now I have a Boston, Midwestern, Louisiana accent now. So, you know, it's three dialects into one. So it's no longer family. I got like all kinds of stuff to throw at you. So just be ready. Uh, the best, you know, it's probably the crawfish etouffee is, is, I mean, I don't know how you, 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 you top that. Now, the, um, I would say also the, the, the grilled oysters. If you haven't had gr- grilled oysters, try that. That'll get your cholesterol level up really high quickly. That, that's pretty good too. So my man now is just leaning into it. Thinks it's a good strategic play, which it might be like play the hits, jug the hits, give the people what they want, except it's not funny. Like he just said, a Boston, Midwestern, Louisiana accent. I didn't really hear any Boston or any Louisiana or any Midwest. I just hear Brian Kelly. I just hear Brian Kelly sounding like Brian Kelly again. You know, like the guy who had been on this show so many times who always sounded exactly like that. So on the one hand, it's kind of a relief. And on the other hand, it's kind of disappointing. It's a relief because there was nothing more cringe than that fake-ass accent. It's been more than six months, and I still can't believe that that actually happened or that he thought that he could pull that off, that he thought that he could get away with that. But at the same time, now that he is like leading us on to believe that there's more, sadly, I want more. And it's like one of those things that you do, you don't want to do. You know that when you do do it, it's going to feel like crap and you're going to hate yourself. And then you're going to have one of those deals where like, all right, now how can I make that right immediately? In other words, like the thing I do all the time, the pantry run. All right. Inside of that pantry, there is sugar. There is Kelly. I want Kelly to go with that fake-ass accent once again. I want to go into that pantry because there are Oreos in there. Hey, Rome, you don't want to do that. You know what's going to happen. You're going to get that immediate sugar rush, 
And then you're going to feel like crap. And then you're going to hate yourself. And then you're going to punish yourself. And you're going to get on your Peloton for 75. And you're going to ask yourself, why the hell did I do that? Same exact thing when I say, hey, BK, give me more of that jug. I'm going to hate myself for it. I know it. But it's like, it's either I want the dopamine hit or there's some kind of jug crack aspect to it. You're like, come on, coach. You know what? Screw it. Screw it. I will deal with the consequences. Do what feels good. I love it. Spill out some more Louisiana words that you've learned. Let us in. Let us in. Coach, what do you got? Hit me. So it's no longer family. I got like all kinds of stuff to throw at you. Like what? We're ready. We want more. At this point, you may as well just lean all the way hell, the hell into it because it's not like people are going to stop asking anyway, right? It's never, ever going to go away. You'll never live it down. It will never go away. Even the SEC network was trolling this dude while he was on the podium yesterday by throwing up a graphic with the description, Southern Accent Expert. That's how they fonted him. Southern Accent Expert. And if you ask me, it actually sounds like he's more of a general linguistics expert. He seems to understand all kinds of regions and dialects. But it does seem like he's got himself a new favorite. I've gotten to, to love where I'm at in, in Baton Rouge. I love the people. They love football. They love family. Uh, and they love food. And that fits me really well. So I guess I should have been in the South all along. Hmm. Because that makes so much sense. Right? Because, you know, it's not like they love football or love family. Family. Or love food in Indiana. They're not about those things there, are they? They're not about football, family, and food family. in Big Ten country. I just spent two weeks in Wisconsin. Trust me. BK, they love football there. They love family there. And most of all, they love food there. Big Ten. Yeah. What do you think? Of, what comes to mind when you think about the Big Ten? How much they hate football. I'll tell you what I think about when I think about the Big Ten. <laughs> the fact that they hate family. Family. The one thing the Big Ten is known for is their utter hatred of food. Come on, man. I actually love the trolling. Because there's just no way to undo the family, family. incident. You can't family. undo it. You can't unhear it. And he's got to own it. And he'll try to spin it. Because nobody's ever going to stop talking about that. Which is why he really should just take that jug band out on a full Gulf Coast tour. It's a great night to be a tiger. I'm here with my family, and we are so excited to be in the great state of Louisiana, but more importantly, to be with you great fans, and to be part of what is going to be an incredible ride here at Louisiana State hear the chicken University. Nobody is more in favor of reinvention than me. BK, lean in. Scrape that washboard, blow into that jug, slap those spoons together. 
Listen, I'm sure LSU fans are already sick of this. And there will probably reach a point in time where it will get old. Even if the jokes never end because they won't. But we're not there yet. LSU fan, just know, we're not making fun of you. We're not. I'm not here to clown you. Nothing but respect for you, LSU fan. In fact, what I'm here to say is, I'm an enormous fan of the Jug Band. If you know anything about me, you know my favorite bands. I'm a alternative rock guy, punk rock guy. Replacements, REM, Rise Against, BK and the Jugheads. Family. I love it. Family. I'll never forget the first time I got backstage to see BK and the Jugheads. These guys all sitting around tuning their jugs. Nothing like seeing a master craftsman. This dude tuning his jug. I remember once BK got up on stage and he shouted out to a guy. He's like, you know, it doesn't matter where I am, 3 o'clock in the morning. When that jug needs to be tuned, I'll call him up and he'll be right here in my room working on my jug. I remember I rolled up on BK once. I'm like, yo, yo, yo. And I was starstruck. I was awestruck. BK. BK, my dude. Tell me. Tell me that's not just another show. He put down his jug. He looked me in the eye and he goes, dude, it was just another show. Man, I was just crestfallen. I was heartbroken. Picked the jug right back up and went back to work. We are joined by Fred Warner. Fred, it's so good to have you back. How are you? Man, I'm great, Jim. I appreciate you having me on. Always good to have you on. In fact, before we talk football, Fred, I know that you were recently married. You and Sydney got married a few weeks back. So before we get to football, I'm really curious, how was the wedding and how is married life treating you so far? Man, I appreciate you asking, man. That's, uh, it, was, it was great. It was it was exactly how we had uh, we had dreamt it. Uh, we had we got married June 25th down in San Diego uh, with our you know our family and friends uh, with us. And uh, man, it was it was great. It was a great time. That's how you do it, and that's a great town to do it in. Fred Warner joining us. All right, so you're coming off a year, as I mentioned, where you had a career high in tackles, and then you caused even more damage in the playoffs. I know you're looking ahead, but if I could get you to look back one more time, what kind of thoughts do you have as you look back on last season? Yeah, man, I think it was just, uh, I think we we showed our true character throughout that season, <clears throat> right? I think having to come out um, and come back from that deficit down in, in, in the in the beginning part of the season, uh, it showed the, the character of the guys to be able to be resilient and, and to make the playoffs, you know, going into that Week 17 game and winning a game against, you know, that those future uh, Super Bowl champions just to even make the playoffs. And unfortunately, we didn't get it done in the NFC Championship game to, to have a shot. But, you know, that's going to allow us to, to have that fire in our belly going into this season. You right. know, and remember that feeling we had and, and work even harder. I was going to say, Fred, you and I talked about it back then, but the team did battle its ass off starting in mid-November when you were two games under 500. You made that run all the way to the NFC Championship game, showing that kind of heart and grit that you're talking about. You know, you also made the point that last year was a really challenging year for you personally. You said, quote, I learned so much just of myself and going through some hardships throughout the season. There was a point in time where I was in a darkish place. I kind of had to bury myself out of there. End of quote. I think that's really interesting. Like, how dark did it get? And then how were you able to dig your way out? 
Yeah, it is interesting, you know, because, uh, you know, it's, it's so funny because during the season it feels like, you know, when you're in it, it feels like it's an eternity. And then you get to the end of it and it's like, wow, the season flew by. And then you're in the off season and you're like, wow, the season flew by. And it's crazy, like, because when you're in it, it does feel like it's a long time. And when I was in it and things weren't going my way the way I'd wanted them to, uh, it, it did feel like, dang, like, I, I can't get things to uh, to shake out the way I want them to. But I think it actually happened perfectly uh, the way it should have. Um, you know, I did learn a lot. And I, I, I learned some lessons uh, in terms of just patience and uh, keeping my head down and working and, and having that hunger, that chip on my shoulder that I'll continue, I'll carry for the rest of my career. Um, so I'm super grateful for this past season and the, and the things that I did learn, uh, the challenges that I did go through, because you don't grow uh, in life unless you go through hard things, um, you know, and I still uh, have that championship swagger and, and confidence more than ever at this point uh, in my career. And I'm, I'm looking forward to just keeping my head down working and being the best player possible for this organization. Fred Warner joining us. Fred, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me I think you're right. Number one, you can't grow without adversity. Number two, everything good really is on the other side of hard. But it seems to me that when you go through something like that, I mean, certainly you could come out the other end. You could come out better. But is it me, or could something like that either make or break you? And have you seen it break other guys who just couldn't fight through? Yeah, you know, I think uh, the, the, the really big part about this game or about professional sports in general is, is the mental part of it. And, you know, you got to make sure that your mental is good, first and foremost, because all of us are super talented and gifted physically, and it's so easy to get down on yourself and get in your head and get in, you know, get in a bad head mind space. But the guys who are resilient, the guys who rely on their training and uh, knowing what got them here in the first place, I think that's what uh, the greats do. It doesn't matter, you know, what, what you like, what kind of hardships or adversity you hit, you're able to come out on the other side and, and, and be better from it. And, uh, you know, and continue to, to be consistent and, and, and be the guy that people can rely on. So, I know that's just what I'm made of, and it is like you said, it is tough. Some guys don't, they don't, they don't get it, and and that's why you know guys fall off. But um, really looking forward to to be, this being my best year yet. Fred Warner joining us. Fred, I think that a lot of the listeners may not understand this the way I do or have the interest in it that I do. I'm fascinated by that topic. It literally right now, and especially at this point in my life, is my favorite topic. I agree with you. At that level, physically, everybody is so gifted. Physically, you know what you can do. Physically, you know how to train your body, right? It's the mental aspect. I don't expect you to let us in completely, but how do you approach the mental aspect of the game? How do you build resilience? Short of going through a tough time and overcoming it, how do you train? train the mental part of your game what's your approach yeah i mean a lot of things i think um for some reason ever since um you know even when i was younger i feel like i've always had this this yearning or this hunger to kind of like to um what's the word to to really study the greats um not just in terms of like the greats you know who were physically dominant but the ones that like that mentally impose their will on their opponents. You know, you, you, you watch a lot of people watch the last dance and were able to kind of get an inside look at MJ and the way that he approached the game, the way he approached practice and his teammates. And, uh, you know, I've watched, I've watched that documentary tons of times. I've, I've studied Kobe. I've studied uh, Tom Brady, you know, the guys who mentally took their, their game to the next level. Um, and I think, 
for me, kind of training that that muscle, you know, upstairs, I think it's it's more so just putting yourself through hard things on a day-to-day basis. Um, you know, not, you know, I think if you are c- consistently pushing yourself to a point where you're having to like really have this internal discussion where it's like, well, I can either do one more or I can, or I can shut it down. And when you continue to make those, those decisions uh, day in and day out, I think that just compound, there's a compound effect to that. And you, that's where you create that resiliency. So where you get in tough situations uh, throughout the season or throughout whenever, uh, you know, you, you've already made your mind up because you've done it over and over again that you're going to continue to push on it and, and to push through. I'm so glad I asked you that. That is one of the best responses ever to that question. That was a near-perfect response. Fred Warner is joining me. I got a lot out of that. I really appreciate that response. Hey, Fred, before you go, there's a lot of people, I think, outside that locker room and outside the team that don't really understand, and understandably, they don't know. They're not there. We don't know. They don't know about Trey Lance. There seems to be this kind of unknown thing about Trey Lance, some mystery about Trey Lance. You've been around him. Is there any mystery or unknown aspect to him to you, or do you have a pretty good sense of what he'll do and what he'll become as a starter? Yeah, I think everybody in the building kind of knows who he is. And, I mean, he, he's only spent one year with us, right? I think you're we none of us have seen who or what he will become. Uh, I don't think only time will tell. Uh, and it is a mystery to everybody outside of the organization because guys, people haven't been able to see him in, in live action the whole time. You know, they have a, they have a very small uh, sample size, but in time, everybody will know. And uh, I think people will like what they see. Let me ask you really quickly about Debo Samuel. I know you're focused on your side of the ball. I know you're focused on yourself. But then you've got Debo, who's such a unique guy and player, and his contract. You've been through this contract process before. So as a teammate, how do you go about approaching it when it comes to Debo? And how do you or do you expect him to be on the field for week one? Yeah, you know, I've spoken on it. And I I think, uh, you know, I've, I've always said the same thing, that that part of it, that's the business part of the game. And, you know, guys who go through that process, I've been through it. Um, it's something that you got to go through individually. And, you know, I'm always here for support with, with any guy that goes through that process to kind of um, share my knowledge of it and what I and uh, the things I took away from it. But, um, you know, I know Debo is, is a great, great player. Um, you know, and with the, with, with the greats, sometimes it takes a little longer, right? Because there's a lot of, uh, a lot of dollars involved. So, um, you know, I know in good time things things to shake out. Fred, I know you're there to support team, and I especially know that you're there to support fam. You and I have talked about your younger brother, Troy, in the past. He's with the Bucks, and he's getting ready for a second NFL training camp. How much pride is there for you personally in the way he's gone about attacking the opportunity as an undrafted player last year? And then what advice did you give to him? Yeah, man, he's he's excited. He's excited to compete this uh, this training camp, you know, first training camp with the Bucks, and uh, super proud of the way that he's gone about it. I've, I've seen uh, guys who have gone the undrafted route on, on my team, you know, unfor- not unfortunately, I should say. Uh, I think I obviously didn't have to go through that, right? And so he, him going through it and and doing it with such uh, with such poise. You know, keeping his head down and working, grinding. You're not you're not giving anything in this league, especially in that position. So, uh, I think he's he's really he's ready. He's ready to, to compete uh, for a job and, and do a great job. So, just really really proud of him and the way that he's gone about it. 
think that's cool, Fred. One last thought. Being one of the faces of the team means you get certain perks and bennies. As an example, when NASCAR was in Sonoma a few weeks back, you were named the honorary pace car driver. I myself have spent some time in the pace car. What was the experience like for you? Yeah, it was it was great. Uh, I didn't really know what to expect. I'd never been to a race car or uh, to a NASCAR race before. Um, and so my first experience, I'm getting to, to drive the pace car and I'm just kind of, you know, cruising at a nice little 40 mile an hour uh, pace. It's a, right, but it's right it's in front of all the other drivers, you know, and, and they're out there swerving their cars around trying to break the tires in. And uh, it's pretty incredible. It, it was a dope experience. I for sure will be back for another one at some point. Dude, it is dope. I went with Jimmy Johnson back in the day and he drove. I was shotgun. My dude got it up to a buck fifty right up against the wall to mess with me, and it worked, man. That was scary. You're right. Dude, that was yeah, scary. Yeah, and I'm yeah. trying to play it off like I'm not, but you know I was. <laughs> love it. Every single time, I love that sound. Always pumps me up. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify is the best. It gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstart startups and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Listen, scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. I know this. I've done this myself with this show and my podcast and my side hustles. Shopify helps with all of that. I love how Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Reach customers online and across social networks with an ever-growing suite of channel integrations and apps, including Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Pinterest, and more. More than a store, Shopify grows with you. This is Possibility, powered by Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash roam, all lowercase, and get a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. Grow your business with Shopify today. Once again, go to shopify.com slash r-o-m-e right now, shopify.com slash roam. Sean Bradley is my guest. Sean, great to have you on. How are you? I'm awesome, bro. I appreciate you having me on here. It's a great day. This is awesome, bro. My man, it's great to have you on. I appreciate that energy. All right, so people, I want people to understand and appreciate what you've accomplished and how you got here. I want to go back a little bit. You first came into the league as a sixth-round draft pick, so you had to fight for everything, including a roster spot. So what do you remember about coming into the league and trying to make a name for yourself? What was your mentality in that first camp? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I kept it the same way, man. At Temple, I was really like, you know, Temple tough mentality, always just trying to attack everything I did. So that's how I took it into the league, man. Now, I was, I, I would say I, I was very much nervous uh, more than anything. I was pretty, uh, pretty nervous because learning a new playbook, just getting adapted to the, to the level of uh, physicality, speed of the game. But, I mean, after a couple practices, I got used to it, and then I just tried to attack it, take it day by day. You feel me? Just get better each day, so. Sean Bradley joining us. You know, well. yeah, you know, I like that Temple Tough mentality. How would you define or describe Temple Tough and that mentality? I mean, just relentless. Uh, I mean, just relentless, aggressive. Just always, you know, always there, always talking, always being around the ball. You know, doing the right things on and off the field. It's not just like a uh, on the field type of thing. You know, it's it's also off the field. How you carry yourself in the community, how you carry yourself at home to other people. So it's just it's just a mentality of how that you have to have as a whole in your in your in your personality. 
Sean Bradley joining us, speaking of community then. You played your high school ball in Jersey. You played at Temple. So that said, what does it mean to be playing for the Philadelphia Eagles? Oh, it's an honor, bro. I mean, the the day I got drafted, man, just from being in the area, you know, I lived 20 minutes from the facility, maybe 25. I grew up 20 minutes from the facility. So whole families, Eagles fans, everybody. So getting that call that day was just, I mean, it was a truly a blessing, man. It was, it was, it was, it really is, man. It still is. So if we go way, way, way back, there's a story that back in the day, you and your Pop Warner team watched Javon <laughs> Curse and the Eagles practice. Is that true? And if so, what do you remember about that day? Yeah, man, my Pop Warner team. Um, I, I just, I just, my, it's crazy. My Pop Warner coach just had sent me a picture of it, maybe like a couple months ago. But it was outside. I can't remember where it was at specifically, but. You know, we did, like, the same type of thing. It was a bunch of drills, and then I have a picture with Javon Curse. He signed a football for me, and it, it, it's crazy, man, how everything comes full circle. Yeah, Sean, it comes full circle, but as I mentioned, you were the 196th pick overall. Now you're getting ready for your third camp, and you're coming off a year where you were a Pro Bowl alternate. I know your coaches and teammates really want you to get the official nod. What did it mean <laughs> to you to be an alternate, and then how much would it mean to you to get there this year? Oh, man, being an alternate kind of put a chip on me, man, because, you know, I, I, it wasn't like, you know, the statistics to me, I've always said, like, I've been more of a team player. I want to win more than anything. But, you know, that was something I wanted, man. And then given the alternate, I'm like, all right, well, then now, now I got to be even better. So you feel me? So just just having that confidence that the team gave me and then the coaches even having me, just to, just trying to be a better player, man, I'm just trying to better myself. And just and like you said, man, get that nod, man. I, I want it. But more importantly, man, I, I want to win. So it's, whatever whatever happens, if we win, I'm cool with that. Sean Bradley, my guest, what about the team? There's a lot of hype surrounding the team right now. A lot of attention is focused on this team going into the season. I'm kind of curious, what are you doing with all that attention? How are you handling it and processing it? Do you embrace it, or do you just try to shut it out completely? I mean, yeah, that's what we do, man. You block out the noise, and you take it and you take it one day at a time, man. You get 1% better. That's what we live by in that facility. You know, like, like Coach Nick Cariani's always said, you know, we climb into the we climbing a ladder, we building, we building a flower, we building from the ground up, man. We take it day by day and we keep adding to it, you know, and that's where we at, man. We don't really listen to, you know, the all-star teams and we got this person and we got that person. We got to put it on paper and make it work first. So one day at a time and by the end of the season, we're going to be where we want to be. Hey, Sean, I had James Bradbury on the program recently. We were talking about the chance to come to Philadelphia and to play with my guy Darius Slay. You said recently yeah. that you get chills when you talk about that defense. How special does this group feel to you? Oh, man, it, it, it's, it's definitely special, man. From OTA, just being around that energy and that environment, man, it's like James came in and it's like we all clicked, man. It's like it's like we never missed it. It's like we've always been on a team for that long. Like Everybody's ready to go. Everybody has the same mindset, the same goal. Uh, and, and and it's good, man. Everybody's trying to help each other. No one's out there like, man. I'm trying to I'm trying to do this for myself, and, and there's none of that, man. Everybody wants to help each other, and everybody wants to win. And like, you can't be around nothing better than that. That's what that's what all you want. Sean, I think it takes a different breed. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it takes a different breed anyway to play special teams. Not everybody can play <laughs> special teams, and certainly not at that level. In your opinion, what does it take to thrive as a special teams player in the NFL? I mean, you just got to be relentless. Temple, you got to be relentless and aggressive with it because, you know, my rookie year, I felt like I came in. I, I did. I felt like I did solid on special teams, but it was more like I was out there trying to feel my way around, like feel like feel the, the game and, like, play it safe and kind of, like, try to position it. And, and special teams, and, and it's not like defense where you got to be like, this is, where you're, this is where you're supposed to be, this is your assignment, this is what you need to do. Special teams is like, here's what you have to do, but then you go make a play, right? And that's what special teams is, man. So, 
you got to just be relentless and aggressive and, and have no fear. You got to really run down there and, and light them up. Light them up. up. <laughs> All right, so to that point about how, like, the, there's where you're supposed to be or there's a point where you just got to get down there and light somebody up. You had this huge, huge hit on Denver's Deontay Spencer last year. Your description of it was actually amazing. You were pretty sure that he didn't see you. How did that play set up, and then what did that hit feel like, if you can explain the terms of that? Yeah, man, I'll tell you about that. Man, like, I, I was remember before the play, like, it kind of happened, and when I was running down there, I remember telling my – usually when I make a tackle, you always break down and you try to, you know, you want to break – track that hit. But, like, with me, what that play was, I was running down, and I remember thinking to myself, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try to run full speed and not stop, and I'm going to try to run straight through him and just see what happens. I really was thinking that the whole time. So, I, if you watch the video, I'm running full speed. I didn't stop at all. I went, I went straight through, and, I mean, I hit him. Now, my arm went numb, of course. <laughs> I got a stinger, so I was pretty messed up from that. But, I mean, the, the adrenaline rush it gave you, I came up, and it was just like mad energy, and it was, it, it was the best feeling I've ever had. So, yeah, that's why I asked that question. That's an amazing description. Sean Bradley is joining us. Now, you joined the Eagles as part of that same draft class as Jalen Hurts. What have you seen from him in your time together, both watching him as a player and as a guy who tries to lead from the front? One more time, I didn't hear what player you said. I'm sorry, it broke out. Jalen Hurts, what was you've you've spent some time with him? What have you seen watching him as a player and a leader? Oh man, I seen him. I seen him develop into who he is right now, man. I mean, I, I said it. I would think I was one of the first people to say when he first got in the league. He made this one play on his rookie year at practice, and I specifically remember during one on ones. He threw this. He threw this ball so far, and it landed, dropped right in the pocket of Deshaun Jackson. I mean, right. He put it right on. The, I'm like, he's going to be nice. He's composed. He's a great leader. Uh, everybody was listening to him as a rookie, and he wasn't even a starter, you know what I'm saying? So that shows a lot about his character. And, I, I mean, I honestly believe he's going to have a crazy year this year. Sean Bradley, my guest. So Saturday you held your second annual youth football camp. It rolled high school. You had more than 400, 400 kids there. For a kid who grew up in that area looking up to Eagle players, what was Saturday like, and what's it mean for you to be able to get back that way? Yeah, man, it was a, it was a great day, but it was it was emotional, man. Like, it was a lot for me, man, because it was it was awesome to see. I seen the kids, mad kids. I seen players, pe- not players, the players, people that I knew, people that I, that I grew up, you know, watching me when I was little. Seeing all them out there, my family's out there. It was just a great day, man. It was it was awesome. The energy, the kids were excited. You know, we had people around them hyping them up, going through all these drills. It was just good to see them smiles on their face, man, and just give them something to believe in, man. Like, you know, you could do this. Anybody can do it, right? So it was awesome. Sean, what's that like for a young kid? Like, you remember, you were that kid on the way up. Like, how how much does that mean to a young child that maybe doesn't see the possibility, understand the possibility, but then you put them in that environment where they have that experience and they get that energy? What's that do for a young person in their mind? Oh, man, it, it, gives, them, it gives them that sense of confidence in themselves, I think, more than anything, right? Like, you, like we're going through a drill and, and you gassing the kid up and, Oh, that was a great hit, man. That's how you do that, man. You give him a high five, man. He's going to take that forever, man. He's going to believe in himself. Like, yo, I can really do this. Like, Sean thinks I can do it or somebody else thinks I can do it. And you're going to have that confidence in yourself. And that's all that matters, man, just believing in who you are, right? Not what everybody tells you you can and can't do. There's a lot of kids out there that were like, I'm too little to do this drill. Well, it's like, nah, you can do this drill. Everybody can do this drill. Don't, don't limit yourself, right? So that was that was the main thing, man. 
Yeah, finally, I want to ask you this, and, and this is certainly not a condition of the interview, but I'm really curious. Like, is, is this something, I'm hearing your energy. I mean, is this something you are <laughs> eager to give back and do because it's fun and it makes you feel good? Or do you feel like it's kind of an obligation and responsibility? Because I would imagine on the way up, so many people made sacrifices for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I love to do this, man. Like, that, those camps, I, I mean, I, I wanted to do a camp before, the, day, the day after I got drafted. That summer, I wanted Great. to do it before I even stepped on the team. I wanted to get a camp. Because, you know, that's just something, like I said, like, you know, kids never had that. When I was growing up, I didn't have no camp around this area specifically that, you know, I could go to and things like that. And so for them to see me do that, man, I just, I want to do it, man. I love this. I love to see the kids' faces afterwards. I love signing stuff for them and taking pictures with them, man. It's just awesome. I think for all the years I've done this, Sean, you're the first one I've ever heard say that. That like I've said, like, what's the first thing you thought of after you were drafted? Or what's the first thing you thought of after you signed? I think you're the first one ever to say, right as soon as I was drafted, I wanted to have a camp. I think that's awesome. I love that actually. Yeah, man. That is good. No stuff. doubt. I wanted to, you know, I wanted to see their I wanted to get it out there, man. I wanted to instantly like share the love. Like, yo, we all made it. You know what I'm saying? We all made it. So I love it. He was the 196th pick taken in 2020 at a Temple, a Pro Bowl alternate last year, a linebacker for Philadelphia. And again, they are opening up against Detroit on September 11th. Sean Bradley, my guest. That's how you close the show. Sean, I appreciate that very much, man. Great job. Good to have you on. Thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Let's go to the phones. We go to Central PA. Joe. Good to have you, Joe. How are hey, you? Good show, Romy. Hey, got a, got a, I don't know if that was BK on the last segment or Hank Hill, but I digress. Hey, I want to talk about this little Soto kid here that turns down $440 million over 15 years. I mean, come on, man. Who's advising this kid? Oh, I, I do see his agent, Scott Boris. You know, I'll put this in BK terms, you know. That's, that's just a crawdad short of less than $30 million a year. That's $82,000 a day the kid can spend for the next 15 years. I mean, are you kidding me? Come on, man. you got to sign that contract. I don't see how the kid doesn't, didn't sign it. But then again, his agent is Scott Boris, and I guess uh, Billy Bean had it right years ago when he called Boris an a-hole. I am out. Rack me, Jim. Well, half of that is true, Joe. You are out, but I can't rack that phone call. Greg in Nashville. Hey, Greg, how are you? Romy. How are you, my mother? Good. good? How are you? Good, good. So, hey, I'm the king of Mr. B's sports ball brawl, and I'm calling in again, but not to talk about that. Okay? You good? You remember that? How could I ever forget that, dude? It was my first public appearance, and there was a full-scale brawl, and the cops came in, and they cuffed people. You generally do not forget things like that. And bringing helicopters in. But here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about the Lake Show. Because, listen to me, last season, the big three, Westbrook, Davis, and my man, LeBron, only played 21 games together. And they looked horrible. They were 11 and 10 in those 21 games, Romy. Listen to me. This season, they're back. Don't let Westbrook go. What do you think about? We keep the big three together because I know you're a Lakers fan. Keep them together. Let's get this thing rolling. And they win another championship. I'm, I'm good with that. You think you're good with that? Me, I am because I'm done with the mediocrity. I think last year they struggled, obviously, but listen to me. They're back. They're back. I'm telling you that right now. And, oh, by the way, on a sidebar note, the L.A. Chargers, Super Bowl bound. What do you think, Romy? Talk to me. 
All right, Greg. Thank you very much. I, I like, listen to me. Yeah, I'm listening, Greg. Good night, Nick.